Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Ron Bumble for Fall of Guns N' Roses, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windor from Monster Magnet. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiska talking. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Stilter. Hey, everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic. Hey, everybody, this is your big daddy-o, Gene Hoagland. Hey, this is Kurt Winstein from Crowbar. This is Alan Tecchio from Autumn Hour, Hades Nonfiction. Watchtower, Minds, Mirrors, and other assorted bands, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Radio. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Doro Passion. Hi, it's Conrad of Peace, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yow! Hi, yeah, okay, so hey, this is Paul Shortino. How you doing? Formerly of Rough Cut, Quiet Riot, and currently with King Cobra. You're listening to Mars Attack. <laughs> Hello, this is Dave Reffitt, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with my good buddy Victor. Crank it up. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Mark from Chimera. This is Steve Zing from Mara's Drug and Danzig, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. <laughs> Attacks podcast episode 55. This is your host Victor and we're kicking things off with a little computer god off of Dehumanizer by Black Sabbath. Let's listen to a little bit more of this track and we'll let you know exactly who we have on the show in just a few seconds.
Computer God off of the often overlooked Dehumanizer album, which is one of my all-time favorite albums. I would put this album up in my top five of all-time favorite albums. Yes, I know I have weird tastes of music and whatnot, but being a drummer and hearing Vinny's playing on this album, specifically that track, feeling the power, the energy, the feeling behind his playing... Just unbelievable. Uh, obviously, that track has the late, great Ronnie James Dio, Geezer Butler on bass, and Tony Iommi, who we just recently found out has cancer, at least what we've seen in the press. He seems to be very positive with uh, what's going on with his health. I actually just started reading his book last weekend, the day before um, the press actually came out that uh, that he had cancer. So hopefully he can fight that battle and win it. Uh, Obviously one of the most legendary people in uh, hard rock and metal. Um, Vinny is going to be featured in this episode. Uh, He has a new band coming out called Kill Devil Hill. Some of you may have heard of this already. I believe he's been on that metal show. Um, Unfortunately, being over here in Europe and Spain, uh, it's difficult for me to check up on that. Uh, But uh, yeah, you know, I'm just trying to do my part and help promote or spread the word per se with this great new band that he has coming out. And I've heard some clips, you know, that are up on the website. And there's the one uh, song time and time again, which uh, Revolver has the exclusive on. Uh, I tried to see if we could play anything from the album, but unfortunately, uh, there's nothing available at the moment. But uh, the idea here is to help spread the word of the band, and then once the album comes out, to have Vinny back on and uh, discuss the album further. But since Vinny does have a great catalog, a great legacy of other music, uh, we'll be featuring stuff that he's played on, stuff from that catalog. Um, that said, without further ado... Uh, Kill Devil Hill does feature Rex Brown from Pantera, and obviously Vinny and Rex are going to get all the attention uh, focused in their way, but there's also Mark Zavin, who's played with Wasp, and Dewey Bragg, who's the lead singer, uh, who was in Pissing Razors. So there are people out there that know who they are as well. Obviously, um, they don't have the notoriety that the other two legendary players have, but there's no reason for them to not get any less attention. And uh, it's cool to find out how this band all came together. Again, as a drummer, as someone that's looked up to Vinny's playing, uh, looked up to a lot of different drummers playing, uh, it's just great to hear that he was more or less the person that originally uh, put this band together. So um, we're also going to feature stuff from that's maybe lesser known uh, by Vinny. Uh, for example, there's a band called Nine Chambers that uh, Ed Morrell from Monster Magnet uh, is in as well. And let's get into a track off of that album right now. <laughs>
a little nine chambers there. The name of that track is The Other Side of Time. Also featured in this episode is Steve Zing, bass player of Danzig, lead singer of Mare's Drug, drummer of the legendary band Sam Hain. Uh, we have an, an interview with him as well. Um, both of these episodes, or I'm sorry, both of these interviews were taped a while back, and unfortunately, um, I've been saying this episode after episode, and I'm trying to sort of proverbially clean out uh, the, the cue line here of the various uh, interviews that I have, and I do have to apologize to everyone that helped set up these various interviews. Uh, with regards to Vinny, it was John Freeman over at uh, Freeman uh, PR. And um, with regards to Steve Zing, it's Dan Lorenzo from Hades. But uh, I also have to apologize to Vinny and, and Steve for taking so long to get these out. Um, you know, things get crazy when, when you have a kid. So uh, <laughs> you have nothing assured to you except for, you know, the present. And you never know what tomorrow will bring. And um, in a perfect world, these would have come out a long time ago. But um, it doesn't always play, you know, to the advantage of having the interviews come out when an album comes out. Uh, it does. And it doesn't, you know, because a lot of times there's all this, you know, noise about an album. Uh, the first week it drops or right before it drops, and then you never hear about it again. So in the case of Mare's Drug, which is a great album, if you haven't picked it up, I have it listed as one of the best albums of 2011, at least in my opinion. Uh, there's some very, very strong tracks on there, and I think all of you should check it out if you're remotely interested to if you're remotely interested in anything that Steve's done in the past, um, definitely check it out. Or if you're into just hard rock, it's just some great, great music. And uh, we'll get into tracks off of that shortly. Um, and as far as Vinny's concerned, Kill Devil Hill will be out in a little over a month, if I'm not mistaken. So really looking forward to that, because once again, that track time and time again just sounds really killer um another track that i want to get into uh right now steve plays bass on this for some reason this album this album should have been so many people's you know number one album of 2010 it was up there for me i think it was the i I listed it as the second best or the third best perhaps album of 2010 this is off the last Danzig album this is revengeful this album just kicks absolute ass <laughs> Hey! 
such a cool track by Danzig. One of my favorite songs to come out within the last 10 to 15 years easily. I've played the crap out of that song. Uh, just listening to Glenn's voice on that track is just so cool. But um, yeah, check that album out if you haven't heard it. Uh, definitely worthwhile listening to. Um, what else? Just want to remind you guys to uh, follow the show on Twitter if you haven't as of yet. It is Mars Aries 2005. Uh, tried to switch that to Mars Attacks Radio and for some reason couldn't do it, so we just stuck with that account. In any event, just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. You'll find the link over to the Twitter right from there. Uh, also on Mars Attacks Radio, you'll find out all the pertinent information regarding the radio shows that I put together, which air exclusively on Mark Striegel Radio. That is stream A of Mark Striegel Radio. New episodes debut on Thursdays and then repeat uh, throughout the weekend on Fridays and Saturday. You'll find the times when these shows repeat right there on the homepage of MarsAttacksRadio.com. You can also listen to that stream, which I help program, uh, directly from Mars Attacks Radio. Dot com. So, uh, also, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Please help spread the word and comment on iTunes. Whether you like the podcast or not, good, bad, or indifferent, you know, just help spread the word and uh, have people check the um, check what we do out. Um, also, this episode will have something special uh, with regards to the Classic Albums column. Uh, if you don't know what the Classic Albums column is, uh, it is a list that's been put together based on various conversations that I've had with musicians, producers, so on and so forth. You know, you're at a show, um, you interview someone, and then you just start talking about music in general, and you talk about albums that influenced someone or, you know, albums that you think are cool. For example, Black Sabbath's Dehumanizer in this case. Um... But uh, um, uh, the the column pretty much just has comments from musicians, producers, photographers, show hosts that are involved in hard rock and metal and give their honest opinion regarding an album. Uh, Each month we roll out another column and you have a podcast with comments that people have submitted over the phone or via Skype. Uh, and then you have a written portion, which has people's written comments regarding specific albums. And uh, it's cool because, you know, not everyone's comments are positive. You have people that also lash out at me for, uh, you know, selecting a specific album. But that's cool, you know. I don't want, you know, everything to be a home run, everything to be, you know, peachy and, you know, everyone say, oh, you know, this album is the absolute greatest. No, you know, I want to have that flip side and have people say, you know what, I don't like this album. I don't care for this group or or whatnot, you know. Uh, I don't push people to say that stuff, but it's cool when you do get that other side because, you know, it sort of um, gets debate going and, you know, it gets you to check out who these people are. You know, that's the whole idea here. You know, maybe find out about an album that you've never heard previously. Um, revisit an album or artist that you haven't listened to in a long time. Or check out, you know, who commented on the album. You know, uh, for better or worse, you know, maybe there are people that you don't agree with and you want to say, oh, you know, who's this 
jerk, you know, what's his music like? And maybe you're turned on to their music and you like what they do, but you don't like their comments, you know, I don't know. Um, or, you know, the the flip side, you really dig their music after, you know, reading their comments or listening to what they have to say. So, so yeah, so, so that's available. And um, what I'm trying to get at here is that part of the reason why I interviewed Vinny and Steve uh, was because Vinny was obviously part of Black Sabbath. Any hard rocker, metal, uh, greatest or, you know, list of albums that you want to talk about uh, has to have a Black Sabbath album. Um, There's obviously a Sabbath album on there. It's a Dio album. Um, They'll, we'll get into that later. Um, There's going to be debate whether, you know, Ozzy was better, whether Dio was better, whether this album, whether that album. Uh, I know my, you know, my way of looking at music is maybe obtuse uh, in comparison to other people. Dehumanizer is my favorite Black Sabbath album. Again, one of my you know, all-time favorite albums. That said, I feel that the album that was selected has a greater impact on hard rock and metal. So that's why this album is featured. Um, with regards to Steve, he was there before anyone knew who the Misfits were. There's a Misfits album on there as well. So we're sort of letting the cat out of the bag early. Um, the Sabbath album isn't going to be featured for a few months. The Misfits album is a way off. Uh, there are 30-something albums that are on the original list. And if this goes any further, you know, it could go on forever and ever. Um, but the entire album's list, again, it's one month at a time. Uh, what'll happen is that when all is said and done, the original list is going to take close to three years uh, for it to all come out. Uh, this month is going to be album number seven, so just to give you an idea. Um, there's a whole slew of different hard rock and metal on there, uh, things that people will say, oh, you know, that isn't rock or that isn't metal or whatnot. Okay, cool. In the grand scheme of things, maybe you don't think that in today's you know, day and age, it's not one thing or the other. But in the context of when these albums came out, they made an impact for one reason or another. Uh, There's a lot of dispute now with people regarding Van Halen, for example. Uh, Van Halen 2 was featured uh, as the fourth album on the list. We did Metallica's Injustice for All, Cleansing by Prong, Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the Deaf, Van Halen 2, Anima by Tool... Um, Megadeth's Peace Cells, and Judas Priest's Painkiller. So all of these albums have had different impact, for better or for worse. And, um, you know, there are a lot of things that have been sent my way or commented on various places where I posted the news that these columns came out that, oh, you know, that that's a rock band or, you know, that's, you know, what my dad listens to. You know, they're not metal or whatnot. Listen to the stuff within the context of when it came out. Uh, go back, do your research, see what came out previous to some of these albums and what came out after and whether there was a trend set by some of these albums. And I guarantee you that a lot of these albums or every single one that I've mentioned influenced one way or another, again, for better or for worse, what bands did afterwards. So take it for what it is. And again, uh, send us your comments regarding that. Post it up there on MarsAttackTrader.com 
or send them directly to input at marsattacksradio.com. Without further ado, we're going to get into a track by Mara's Drug right now. Again, if you have not checked the band out, hopefully uh, this interview helps open some doors for the band. Um, Open some doors in the sense of having people that listen to this podcast check the band out. So, again, a great, great album, in my opinion. And, um, you know, the interview, the the one thing you'll see that there are gaps and whatnot, um, there was a lot of echo the day that we did this interview, listening back and editing it. You know, I remembered uh, that there were issues with, with my internet. Uh, I do these these interviews with Skype, and, um, you know, sometimes it is... It's great, but other times it is a real pain in the ass because you get all types of echoes and different things that, you know, are present for for better or for worse, and it makes things, you know, difficult or, you know, difficult for me or difficult for the person listening to the interview on the other end or doing the interview on the other end, I should say. Um, And that's you know, what happened with this interview. I've cleaned it up the best that I could, but at the same time, I didn't want it to lose any of the feel that it had. Uh, In any event, enough of me babbling. Let's get into the track Forsaken off of the self-titled debut by Mara's Drug.
how often do you hear the name Lodi uh, pronounced incorrectly? <laughs> Lodi. Lodi, yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what, that's what we hear is Lodi. Yeah. Uh, funny and sort of sad. Remember years ago listening to SOU and hearing someone mention that uh, the Misfits were from California, and I'm thinking they're from Lodi. They're from your fucking backyard, and you're saying they're from California. That's a disgrace, you know, being what an idiot. The, yeah, being from, you know, Jersey and not knowing, you know, one of the most important bands to ever come out of the area. Right. So, yeah, um, I mean, you know, <laughs> some people are idiots. Yeah. Um, as far as you're concerned, you've been involved with so many important and historic uh, bands. When coming out with a new project, does that help or hinder you? Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it all depends because sometimes you can get lost in the shuffle. You know what I mean? Right. I think that's where um, that lies the problem. Is that okay. you, get, you can get lost in a shuffle. Okay, and do you think that, you know, someone maybe knowing you from another band uh, helps maybe put you over the top slightly, or do you it, think Yeah, that it, so, sometimes okay. it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Right, you know? okay. Um, okay, g given that you have worked with, um, with other, you know, uh, reasonably known bands... Does it make it difficult for you to find other musicians to work with? Well, yeah, I think just, you know, music in general, it's, it's hard to find, you know, good people to work with only because, you know, nobody wants to put the time. You know, this business is all about its timing. Right. You know, it has nothing, you know, there's some luck to it, and there's, and there's also some... Um, you know, there there is a level of having to be good at what you do, no doubt right. about that, in songs and in a show. But, uh, you know, it's time. It's a time. And, and people think it's overnight, and it's not. Mm -hmm. In rare in rare circumstances, it is. But even you'll ask the people that are kind of what they call an overnight sensation, and they'll tell you they were at it for years. Right. It just seems overnight because they came out of, came out of nowhere, but <laughs> right. the truth of the matter is they, they were doing it for years. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So many so many bands, as you're mentioning, you know, may, maybe have been around for six or seven years, were never signed. Right. But that, that first hit of notoriety, and people think, as you just said, it, they just got together and just put something good out. Yep. Exactly what they did. Um, You've... Worn so many proverbial hats in bands: bass player, drummer, singer. Uh, is there one thing that you're most comfortable with? Um, I don't know. Uh, you, you know, I think you know, being being in Danzig now for it's five years. Um, you know, you kind of get used to the whole bass thing, right? You know, but and. I do, I do miss drumming, and I, you know, I look forward to doing it on these legacy shows. But right. uh, I, I think I've done pretty, you know, I think, I think I've become pretty good with and comfortable with with vocals. Okay. You know, so I'm, it isn't. I'm pretty Go happy ahead, I'm about sorry. that. Okay, so so it isn't a case of 
going up on stage and, and feeling naked without having the bass or a kit in front of you? The first time I did it, um, I was definitely not ready for it. Okay. You know, it was it was certainly something that, uh, um, you know, when you're sitting behind a kit and all of a sudden now you're out front, I was not prepared for it. Right. So, but now it's, it's no big deal. Okay. And uh, you hear about so many musicians when they switch from just playing an instrument to being a lead vocalist uh, that they have a hard time or it takes them a while to find their voice. Uh, do you feel that that happened to you or did you have... Absolutely. Okay. Uh, it took me a while to find my writing style, my you know, my voice, um, getting comfortable because, you know, you'll tend to put a lot of effects on your vocals and stuff like that when you're not comfortable. And now I don't really care. Um, right. you know, it's, it's, um, I'm not relying on that. You know, I think I've, I've done pretty good. So yeah, it's definitely something you have to get, get used to. Okay. Yeah, when I listen to the album, I hear a lot of different things being channeled through your voice. I hear, you know, hints of Lane Stanley. I hear hints of Dave Windor from Monster Magnet as well. Um, was there anyone specific, or excuse me, was there anyone that you had in mind when you went in to do these vocals, or did it just come out of you regardless of the various influences that you had? No, I think... Uh... I mean, uh, as, I mean, I'm a I'm a big Alice in Chains fan. I mean, but I I I wouldn't compare myself to Lane Staley because he the guy's amazing. You right. Know? right. Um, but I thank you for that. Um, you know, I'm an old school punk fan. Right. You know, so you know I, I like bands like The Damned and stuff like that, and of course. This other guy named Glenn Danzig, right? <laughs> so, you know, um, I guess if, it, it's hard to even say that that. I guess Glenn would be an influence, you know, um, by default. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, but otherwise, it's, I pretty much take it from a lot of old school stuff. That I, that I used to listen to. Okay. Yeah, and that, that was one very interesting thing that stood out to me when I heard the album for the first time, is that it does have sort of, you know, a 70s feel to it in some places, but there are other spots where it feels grungy, there are other spots where, you know, it's metal, and there are other spots where, you know, there's punk or there's an indie feel to it as well. Um, so it's just so cool to feel that type of diversity sort of just intertwining throughout the the songs. Uh, was that the intent, or did that just all come out? No, I, I think, um, you know, my writing partner is, um, you know, he's the guitar player. And I okay. think, you know, he's from an old metal hardcore background okay where i was i was totally not into that stuff right you know so 
I think what happens there is it, um, you know, we kind of, um, when you put it all together, it, it, it kind of works. Okay. You know, you just kind of, you get, to me, I think you get the best of everything. Right. So. Yeah, I thought that it was interesting reading on the site. Um, seeing the bio where that was actually mentioned and listening to the album, thinking along the lines of what you mentioned with all those different influences, just getting, as you mentioned, the best of everything that's being thrown in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I, you know, people say, who do you sound like? And to <laughs> me, I, 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 I really can't explain it. Right. You know? I really can't. I don't. Um, I don't know. What would you say? <laughs> well, that's the thing. From song to song, there are so many different things. You know, um, like I said, you know, um, "Storms of Yesterday" has like a '90s type feel to it. But then you hear something like "I'm Alone," and the intro is indie-ish, post-hardcore-ish. You know, it's it's totally off in a different direction. So it right. isn't as if, you know, you can put your finger on it and say, well, definitely, you know, we were influenced by so-and-so and this is, you know, uh, what we sound like or whatever. There's there's so many things in there that, like you said, you know, there's not one thing that you could associate the band to. It's definitely rock, but, right. you know with all these sub-genres and other BS that's attached to stuff, well, you know, you could throw maybe 20 things in there and say, well, it's, you know, these 20 things, not just one specific thing. Right. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's the best way to, you know, to describe it. I right. Mean, because it, it just, you know, you can always, there's always people that'll say, oh, you need to write like this. I don't write for the whatever is you know what's going on out there or whatever because it just doesn't. You need to feel comfortable in your own skin, Mm -hmm. and you can't try to you know write for whatever today's sound is because by time you get there, that's already come and gone. Yeah. So uh, I just you know I write a song and that's all. I don't sit there and go I'm going to make this one sound like this. Whatever is going to come out of it is because it's influenced by me and, you know, Falco, my uh, guitar player. And that's right. basically it. And then once we get Dano, our bass player, and, and John, our drummer there, kind of takes on a whole new meaning because they're all influenced by different things. Right. So the style is going to vary. And, you know, I'm I'm really happy with the outcome of it. Right. And it's, you know, and it usually, I haven't been that way in the past with my previous projects because I sit there and go, oh, ah, you know, you kind of, kind of cringe at some, some things. But this one, I'm like, you know what? This is, I like it. I actually listen to it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. And, uh, it's funny you, you touched on a a very interesting point. Sort of a sad point as well. So many bands that try to, you know, write for today or, or whatever. And, you know, how many people are making tons of money nowadays in the industry to want to 
as you said, you know, play something or write something that isn't you, and then you're stuck with that forever, you know? Well, it's true. I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, you can, um, look, when you put something out, that's, that's your mark. Yeah. You know? And so you, you, you have to be comfortable with it. And if you're not, what I've realized, I mean, yeah, I've put out some different stuff, but I've realized that when you put this shit out, be comfortable with it because that's what you're judged on. Yeah. You know? So in the future, I don't like something, it ain't coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect uh, ideology. So um, aside from something that you just mentioned, the, the Danzig legacy stuff, um, what are your plans with Mare's Drug going forward? Um, does the band go on hiatus for about a month while you do the Danzig stuff? Um, or are you guys going to be doing stuff actively behind the scenes before you can no, we're, go we're, out on the road? No, still doing active stuff. We're playing sometime the end of October okay. uh, in, in New York. So, um, you, know, there, you know, we'll be doing stuff. So it's just, you know, it's just... You know, you're constantly working always behind the scenes. Right. Always. Never stops. So. Okay. Um, as far as the recording process goes, how did the recording process for this album differ for you approaching it as a singer to being a just a musician with all of your other projects? Well... You know, in this regard, like I said, when you when you do something, you're putting your mark on it. You know, when you write the songs, I mean, I I have to listen to the song as a whole. You okay. know, I can't just listen to it as the singer. I can't listen to it as as the bass. The draw. I have to listen to the entire song. Mm-hmm. And so when you approach something like that, it's different because I'm not just the bass player. I'm not just the drummer. I have right. to, you know, besides writing the song, I produce the song. So I have to, you know, listen to its entirety of what's going on in the song. So it's, okay. in that regard, you know, it's a lot more work. Okay. <laughs> um, the one thing that I did want to discuss with you, um, I'm actually doing a column on my site. Um, which focuses on various classic albums that have come out. One of the albums that's going to be discussed is the Misfits' Earth A.D. Um, obviously, you were there uh, when the Misfits first came out. You're from the same town and everything, and you have various associations uh, to the band, to Danzig, to Sam Hain, so on and so forth. So I thought that it would be cool to, you know, throw some questions your way because obviously you're going to have specific insight that others obviously won't have. Okay. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, with regards to the rise of the band, um, did anyone expect the band to reach the legendary or cult status that they've you know, achieved so many years later? Absolutely not. Um, I, I, I don't think for once that anybody 
looked at um, you, you know looked at all that and said, well, you know, you know, we're going to put out these little red vinyls and they're going to be worth you know thousands of dollars or we're going to do this. You know, if if you were there, it kind of it was it was pretty sad the way it ended. It just ended. It just it just it wasn't like this. I'm trying to think the best way to describe it. Um, it kind of faded. It faded okay. away and it faded real fast. You figure they started in '77 and ended in '83. You know, so in six years, what they did in six years, and you know, they weren't playing all the time or anything like that. But in, in six years' time, they built this 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 image. Mm-hmm. You know, and that nobody else, ever else did. Right. So in, in that in that respect, um, you would have really had to be there. <laughs> like right. right. <laughs> Which is why I wanted to uh, to to bring it up. Um, as far as your association to the band back then, how did you first come in contact with them? Well, we all grew up in the same town, and I went to school with Doyle. Okay. Um, we went to uh, high school together. Oh, we were from grammar school to high school. So oh, from okay. when we were from kindergarten through, through high school. So, okay. Yeah. So it was for for quite a while that uh, that you at least knew Doyle um, before any before the band actually came about. Oh yeah, I remember him coming to um, school one day, and he said, um, "He said, hey, remember, you know, I, I told you my brother's in that band." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Well, they're going to rehearse at my house after school. Why don't you come over?" I'm like, "Okay." So I went and listened to the Misfits rehearse. Right. And. Um, it was at that point that um, I basically um, said, "This is uh, this is it. This is um, I want to do this. I'm going to be in a band with this guy someday." And my friends used to laugh at me, um, <laughs> and, um, and they were like, "You don't even play an instrument." I'm like, "Well, I will. I'm going to play the drums." Well, you don't have a drum kit. I'm like, "Okay, well, I'll, I'll get one." And that was that. <laughs> cool. Um, as far as the album in question that I mentioned, Earth AD, um, there's always been disputes regarding where hardcore came from. A lot of people, or I've heard various people, I should say, point to Earth AD as the starting point or the blueprint for hardcore due to tracks like Earth AD, Green Hell, so on and so forth. Do you think that this album had anything to do with the start-off of Hardcore? Mm, uh, no. <laughs> I mean, I think it Hardcore was, you know, you had bands like, you know, Minor Threat and, you know, all the DC bands and, and then the right. bands from Boston um, and, of course, L.A. and... and, and 
you, you had uh, bad brains. Right. So hardcore was there. I think. I think that was the Misfits capturing. You know, a lot of people didn't get the Misfits. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't get what they were about. And I think, um, you know, um, that was, you know, the reason for that album. Okay. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to have pointed to Bad Brains, or I should say most people that I've spoken to regarding this topic have, have always pointed uh, to Bad Brains over Black Flag or, or any other band that's usually thrown into the mix there, so... Yeah, I mean, they, they they were there. I mean, credit has to be given for credit to do, that's for sure. Um, but, the, you know, um, I think the Misfits captured, you know, um, their... I think they captured their own version of hardcore because okay. most hardcore wasn't as melodic as what Glenn made it. Right. You know, it's it was you know, it was still the misfits. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense. No, that makes absolute sense as being a a fan of the band, you know, there are so many things that he did with the melody or even throwbacks to, you know, fifties music or whatnot that made them stand apart. Right. From from so many other bands. So yeah, I understand hundred percent what what you're <laughs> what you're going for. Cool. Um as far as the band after Glenn left, I mean there was a resurgence in the nineties, there's still a version of the band going today. Do you have any opinion? I don't know if you'd have the I don't know if you would call that a version. Okay. <laughs> but, um do I have an opinion on it? Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't. I mean, I have nothing against, um, you know, Jerry or anything. I, I don't think that. Um, I say, I don't know if it's right. <laughs> you know, I don't know if it's right what he's doing. Right. I mean, that that would just kind of be like, um, you know, take a lead singer from a band and replace it. I mean, it's not Van Halen, but, you know, it would be like taking Joey Ramone out of the Ramones. Right. It just doesn't work. Not for me. So, but, you know, best of luck to them. <laughs> okay. Um, as far as after the fall of the band took place, how soon after that did you become involved in Sam Hain? About three days later. <laughs> <laughs> two, about two, two or three days later, when Glenn called me and asked me if I wanted to do a band. And how difficult of a decision was it for you to uh, agree to become part of the band? Oh, there, there was no... Uh, there was no thought in that. It was just like, okay. <laughs> no problem. 
And looking back at Sam Hain, obviously you've had a few different times over the years where the band has been revisited, um, where you've played drums and bass um, in various reunions and whatnot. Um, what is your sort of, if you were to say, this is my legacy within Sam Hain, what is the one thing that you would point to? Well, Nishium, of course. Um, you know, playing drums. I, I think what we did back then was totally something different that hadn't been done yet. Okay. Sound-wise, um, it was interesting because we weren't sure how people were going to perceive it, and there were a lot of people at that time that didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Right. Right. You know, it really didn't. It was like um, they were all looking for the Misfits Part 2. Right. And that's, that's what it wasn't, it wasn't going to be about that. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely tough. Do you feel that the band's popularity or influence uh, increased over time? Maybe, as you mentioned, people didn't get you guys when you were around, but after the band was gone, do you feel that there was more people drawn to the band's music than when you guys were active? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there were there are a lot of bands that talk about how they were influenced by it, and you're like, really? Wow. You know, a lot of major bands, too. Um, and kind of blew my mind. You know, even Metallica. They're huge Sam Hain fans. Right. But... Um, yeah, you know, like I said, when when you put something out, that's your mark. Right. You know, and sometimes you get credit for it, sometimes you don't. And uh, if you do, well, more power to you. Um, and you don't really, sometimes you don't receive the accolades for years and years down the road. Right. Yeah, interesting point. Um, one of the other albums that I featured was Cleansing by Prong, and I spoke to uh, Tommy, your bandmate, obviously, and that was like a good chunk of the interview was how so many bands, especially that came out in the 90s, you know, were influenced them maybe directly or indirectly, but they maybe ne never received the recognition that they should have. Yeah, uh, I mean... <laughs> there's a lot of bands you can listen to and go, holy shit, they took prong. You know, <laughs> chord for chord, note for note. Yeah. So it's, uh, would you say it's almost bittersweet with Sam Hain to hear all of these popular bands, bands like Metallica, say, hey, you know, we were big fans, but, you know, at the time that the band was active, you know, you almost didn't feel that uh, reaction from the fans? Well, again, it goes back to the Misfits. You know, they ever think that they were going to be as popular as they are? True. No, yeah. you, you don't. You don't think of it back then. You know, we were just a band that all Lodi, New Jersey. You know, <laughs> right? Just doing our thing. So you, you don't think about it. You just you just you're just going by. You know, doing the doing your thing. Right. Okay. Because you, you're in the now. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard to think about what it will do 
five years down the road, ten years, or even thirty in this in this case. Sure. So, uh, talking about in the now, these uh, legacy dates. Mm-hmm. Um, how interesting for you is it to take part? in these uh in these various shows outside of obviously being a musician but from a fan standpoint oh i'm having a great time i mean i'm playing songs and i can't name the songs yeah but i'm playing misfit songs that i grew up on right you know old stuff and i'm like wow this is is pretty wild it's pretty amazing and as far as the Sam Hain music, is it fun for you to revisit those tracks live as well? Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny because like I'll be playing them at home and practicing them, and just, there's a lot of memories that come back from you know when we were playing all this stuff. Right. So. Cool. Okay. Um, and the dates, there's there's only going to be a few sporadic dates here and there for this tour, right? Yeah, there's uh, next Friday, which is the 7th. Then there's uh, October 29th in New York. It's Halloween in Hollywood. And there's November 4th in Austin. Okay. Um, how much further do you think there, that you'll be involved in shows with Danzig? There's been so many talk over the last few years that he really doesn't want to tour anymore. Can you foresee there being additional tours or albums with the band? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Um, we have a good time, you know? Right. And there's no drama in this camp, so... Um, you know, I think as long as it stays drama-free mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we continue to have a good time, he won't, he'll want to do it. You know, right. We'll do it until, you know, he thinks he's had enough. But I, I don't ever, you know, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, because he's been, we've all been doing it a long time. Right. And after a while, it's, it's not that it's not fun. It's just it's grueling. It's a different business these days from what it was years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, you know it's it's harder, that's for sure. You'd think it would be easier because getting your stuff out there through the internet would be easy, but it's that much harder. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, the the one drawback to the internet. I mean, if you're a hardcore fan, it's great because you have a lot of things at your disposal. But the other side of thing is that you now are competing with a million bands as opposed to a thousand bands that you had way back in the day. That's for sure. That's Um, for sure. Do you feel that Glenn's been portrayed unfairly in the press in recent years? Well, look, you know, if people do their homework, right, before they do an interview, then you're going to kind of know about that person. Right. And they go in, in there and they're kind of looking at him one way. Um, they're probably not looking at it the right way. Right. So in that regard, yeah, there's times he's been definitely portrayed um, in the wrong manner. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I, I try to do as much research as possible before speaking to someone and even try sure. to see what, what other interviews are out there just to try to make sure that it isn't the same monotonous drivel that you're throwing at people. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know? I understand. So, um, a few years back, you actually played um, a show that went under the name of Screaming Metal with, um, obviously, the guys from Talking Metal with Dan and Alan from Hades. Um, how did you hook up with these guys and get involved in that show? Um, I knew the drummer. Okay. And, um, you know, he asked me, would you come in and, you know, sit in and have a good time. I'm like, yeah, why not? And that's how I met Dan. Huh, and, okay. And, uh, and, uh, that was it. And kind of Dan and I became friends after that. It was, it was really cool. Dan's a great guy. Yeah. Like I said, initially, re real good guy. He's been nothing but good to me in my shows, so I can't complain at all. Um, what, sh what, uh, songs did you do at that show? I think we we just did uh, Dirty Black Summer. No, no, okay. I'm sorry. We did Twist the Cane. Okay. And you were behind the kid for that song? No, I was on bass. Oh, okay. So that wasn't uh, much of a stretch for you then. <laughs> nah. That was all good. Okay. Um, as far as... Uh, people being up to date with what you're doing with Marriage Drug and everything else, where should they go? MarriageDrug.com And I do have to say for a band, uh, especially nowadays, you see all types of things out there. Uh, it is a very cool website. Uh, not just saying that to kiss your ass or, or anything like that, but you go to some sites and you just cringe. The way that your site is structured and everything is really cool and, and easy oh, thank to use. You. So. Thank you very much. This is Steve Zing from Mara's Drug and Danzig, and you're listening to Mars Attacks.
There you go. A little storms of yesterday. The track that kicks off the Mare's Drug self-titled debut. That album is available on iTunes. That's where I picked it up. And uh, thanks to Dan, Lo- Dan Lorenzo, excuse me, for um, pointing that band out to me. Um, moving forward, we're going to get into the Vinnie Apice portion of the episode. And uh, let's see here. Let's do something from another often overlooked album that he played on. This is coming off of Dio's Strange Highways. This is the title track, Strange Highways. It's a crazy world.
with regards to the new project that you're working with, Kill Devil Hill, uh, tell us how you got involved with this band. Well, it actually started, uh, I had uh, recorded some drum tracks that, that I, uh, we were going to put on the internet through a record company, and then uh, I had to get shoulder surgery uh, at that point, too. And, and luckily, I did these tracks and then got the shoulder surgery, so I couldn't play for six months. So I had these drum tracks, started listening to them, and they uh, sounded really, really cool. And uh, I called uh, Jimmy Bain, bass player from Dio, down to uh, you know work with me on putting some bass uh, to to those tracks, and uh, that's kind of the way it started. And after that, uh, ran into a guitar player named Mark Savon, and uh, invited him down to start putting some you know guitar on, see how it would sound, how it would work. He worked out great. He knew the, the singer uh, that's in the band, Dewey Bragg. And uh, I heard a, a tape of Dewey singing, and I went, that's the guy. Yeah, fucking <laughs> awesome singer. He, right. he came down, we started working, everything started really coming together. And then eventually it didn't work out with Jimmy, and I uh, heard Rex was uh, available looking for some song. And uh, I know Rex for a long time. I gave him a call and sent him some stuff. He loved it. And that's how we came together. So it's pretty cool. And it's not even a, it's not a project. It's a band. This, it's this a band. A okay. Band. Oh yeah. This is this is kind of my baby and everybody's baby. You know. Oh, that's cool. Because the the way that I guess I'm getting this confused a little with another band that uh, Rex was putting together at one point that he was apparently no longer a part of. So it's actually cool to hear about a drummer. Me being a drummer myself. Uh, yeah. starting up a band and having all the pieces come into place the way that you mentioned. Right. Well, actually, Rex had that, another band that uh, was Arms of the Sun, and he was he was trying to work with that. And then, uh, you know, I went down to meet Rex and uh, actually jam with those guys. And, uh, you know, we were thinking of trying to do two bands, you know, because Rex was, <laughs> was trying to get that off the ground, but, but that's too hard. And then, uh, you know, we sat down and, uh, you know, I, I wanted this to happen you know, Kill Devil Hill, either way, that was my first priority, and then, uh, and that's the way it, it all turned to Kill Devil Hill, so, you know, we're, we're focused on this, this is the band, and, uh, yeah, it all came together nicely. Okay, and what stood out for you with Dewey's voice, what really put him over the top? Um, he's got a, 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 a great voice, great tone to his voice, uh, he doesn't, uh, sound like anything like 80s. I was getting a lot of tapes from people saying, hey, I heard you looking for a singer and all this like kind of 80s stuff, you know. Since I played with Ronnie, people assumed right. I wanted to get into that kind of thing. And uh, Dewey's voice is just an amazing voice and the way he sings and, sings and approaches everything. It's very modern, very cool, with some old school bits to it, too. It's awesome. Okay. Okay, and, and that was uh, one of my other questions. When you're putting a band together with the history that you have, how difficult is it weeding through people that just think that you want to do the same old thing time and time again? Yeah, well, that, uh, actually, that's one of our songs, Time and Time Again. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's what happens. It happens all the time with any band, you know. Somebody gets the word out that you're looking for a new bass player or singer or drummer and especially singers and, and people tend to go assume that you're looking for somebody that 
you know, you, you worked with before kind of thing, you know. I'm looking, right. you know, I was looking for something more, more modern, more new, and something more surprising, you know. So, right. uh, you know, that that's, that's why bands, you know, this came together the way a real band should. It was just, okay, you know, here's this guy, he just happens to be here, let's play at work. He knew Dewey, that's cool, Rex is, you know, I knew Rex. And it came together. It wasn't put together on paper or like a superstar band or anything. Yeah. Right. Kind of fell together, which is better. Okay. And with regards to the music, you're saying that it's updated uh, metal, hard rock. Uh, What can people expect on the debut album? Uh, The album sounds like, you know, a bit of uh, Alice in Chains, a bit of old Sabbath, heavy, doomy cool riffs and uh, a little bit of Pantera thrown in there and uh, even a little bit of Zeppelin thrown in there, you know. But uh, okay. what's cool about it is that's the music side of it. And then Dewey's voice, he's got more of a modern-sounding approach to everything, so it brings that together with, with new school, you know. So it all works well together. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of old-school, new-school. Okay, and you guys are currently out there touring. How much of a benefit or detriment is it to take essentially a new band out without the audience knowing the material? Well, um, that that that's a good question because the album's not due out until uh, March of next year. So we wanted to go out, so we booked a twenty-four twenty-four date tour. And uh, of, of small places, we're playing small clubs and little uh, smaller towns. And actually, it's been fun so far. I mean, we've only done one gig, but we've been rehearsing out here and stuff. Now we're in uh, West Virginia, making hmm. you know people know we're coming to town because it's a small town and meeting people from the town, knowing you know they're all freaking out that we're playing these little clubs and stuff. You know, but I think it's a great way to build a foundation. And then I think uh, the audience gets it. You know, they could hear the sound of the band. They could hear the songs, even though they don't know them. You know, right? Songs, songs are really, you know, focused. They're really, you hear the song live, and and you know, once it repeats uh, to the second verse, you go, oh, I get it. You know, so <laughs> right. It's it's not not too complicated. You know, that, that's what's cool about it. It's very heavy, dark, but it's uh, melodic at the same time. Okay. Do you foresee switching any of these songs up as you guys are touring, or do you think this is going to be the exact songs how you guys are going to go in and record them? Uh, well, actually, we already recorded them. And, uh, oh, the album, okay. Yeah, we're in mixing stage right now. We're going to finish, okay. finish mixing when we get back in November. But uh, we recorded all the songs. we got 12 songs recorded. And that's that's about what we're playing uh, in the set. We're not doing it or anything from our past. You know, we want to just right. play stuff that we're doing. And uh, so far, it's been great. People get it. Okay. And uh, speaking of another album that just came out that features your playing, Nine Chambers, I'm assuming from what you're saying, that's more of a project as opposed to a band? Yeah, that's a project. Everybody uh, in there has their own thing going on, and it was put together by Greg Hampton and... Uh, you know, he asked me to play drums. I know for years, so I played drums on it. And uh, and then he got uh, Ed from Monster Magnet and Jorn from uh, uh, Government Mule to play on it. And 
you know, it's a cool, fun thing, but that's just a project. You know? We might do some shows here and there in between Kill Devil Hill. Kill Devil Hill is the main, the main course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and over your storied career, you've hardly ever appeared, I would say, playing with your brother in a lot of different situations. Up until this year, you guys did those drum war shows. Uh, what was that like? That was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we only played together in 1992 when uh, Sabian booked us on about six or seven drum clinics together. And those were more drum clinics. And we had a ball, and it was just people loved it. They ate it up. And so, you know, we've always said we got to do, we got to do this again. We released a video uh, back in, I think, the 90s, called Drum Wars. So we finally got time to put it together. And this time we approach it more of the music of Vinnie and Carmine Apathy, Drum Wars. So we incorporate like four of my songs from Dio Sabbath, four of Carmine songs from his career. And we have a band, you know, and then we do uh, three or four drum pieces and battles at the end. And, and it's, it's actually some comedy in it, too. You know, we fuck around and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's just real cool. But it's people are amazed. You know, we, we did about six, seven shows so far. And people, even non-drummers are just sitting there going, holy shit, this is really cool. It's never really been done before, you know, in rock. So right. it's a really cool thing. We hope to do more. And there's a website, drumwars.com, where you can uh, keep posted of what's going on and all all the dates as they come in and stuff. But right now, there's nothing planned until maybe uh, next year in January. Okay. And the interesting thing, your brother obviously is known for the double bass. You've always leaned more towards a single bass. Um, was that a conscious effort for you to distinguish yourself from him, or was just that that just sort of naturally came along? It's kind of a little of both. Uh, I did pick up a you know two bass drums when I was a kid and started messing around with it, and, and then I don't know, I just favored the one bass drum, and I felt more comfortable with one bass drum. And then I thought you know it would actually give me more of an identity to be playing single bass drum, you know? So uh, so I just stuck with that. And then as double bass drum evolved and double pedals, you know, some of the, the guys playing now are unbelievable with their feet. So right. like I, I thought even years back, I'll never get to that point. So I bother to stay one foot, one fast foot. So it allowed me to, to, to actually concentrate on one foot and make make that foot, you know, right, my right foot pretty strong, you know, because I didn't rely on the double bass drum. Yeah. Right. How difficult was you, or excuse me, how difficult was it for you to break into the business having a brother with such a big name? Uh, well, see, there's an age difference between us. He's uh, 11 years older than I am. So when I got okay. playing, you know, you know, I practiced a lot. I said, you know, if I'm going to do this, i got to be good. Combine's so good. So I went for drum lessons, the same teacher he did, and then I made a point of making sure I did everything and practice and just really dedicated myself to it. So, and then I just, uh, I was in New York, met the right people at the right time, started getting them in the first band was actually, I worked with John Lennon when I was 16. Then I went on to Rick Derringer and I uh, kind of had my own connections already, you know, and even right. though uh, you know, people go, Oh, that's Carmine's brother. But then eventually when I got into Sabbath and years went by, then I became my own identity, you know, and uh, not call my brother anymore. So, 
But uh, right. it was uh, it actually helped, you know, because it made you stand up that somebody, you know, I was somebody from a musical family or somebody that's got some credibility, you know. So, right. Uh, I think it helped. You know? Okay, cool. Um, one thing that I'm doing with my website is that I've come up with a uh, classic albums column uh, where I have all different types of musicians, producers, so on and so forth, uh, comment on various albums that have impacted hard rock and metal along the way. One of the albums that's going to be featured is Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. Um, although I know you didn't play on the original release, uh, it's obviously an album that has a lot to do with your career because you jumped into the band shortly after the album came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, can you turn the clock back for a second and tell us exactly how you got invited to play with Sabbath? Uh, well, it was in 1980, and uh, actually before that call came in, I got a call from Sharon Osborne uh, asking if I wanted to play with Ozzy. Ozzy was with the Blizzard of Oz together. And huh. uh, and at that point, I knew Ozzy, you know, he was drinking. He was pretty nuts. I asked my brother. He knew Ozzy, too, from years ago. You know, right. Ozzy crazy? I mean, I got this off. I mean, I don't know if I should do it or not. He goes, yeah, he's pretty nuts. So it kind of persuaded me to, to turn it down. So I turned it down. And uh, um, about two or three months later, I got a call from Sabbath. They were in town. They looked for drummer, Tony, uh my album I did with my own band called Axis, and he liked it, so they called me. I don't know where they got my number from. So I went down to play with them. Uh, first, I went down to meet Tony and the road manager, right. and that went well, and then they said, come down tomorrow. This was in Los Angeles, and we'll jam and see how it goes. So I went down and played with them. First song I played with me on nights. And then they said, yeah, you're in. So I was in the band, and uh, it was under the assumption that Bill was going to come back. Bill, huh, at that okay. point, um, had to leave, and he he was gone. But they thought he would be back. So eventually the tour went on, and Bill never came back. So then eventually the tour ended, and then uh, came up to do another album, and I was in. You know, that's when we did the Mob Rules. So right. and then we became great friends and uh, had a long long relationship. You know. Right. Um, what are some of your favorite songs to play live off of that album? Uh, I like uh, Die Young, uh, Heaven and Hell. We did Lady Evil. They're all kind of favorites, you know. Neon Nights is okay. cool, too. But Neon Nights for drums isn't very... It's kind of a repetition of, the, the you know, the first half of the song. It's kind of like the second half of the song. So it's not as interesting for me playing it, but it's a great song, obviously. But I like like Neon Knights and uh, Lady Evil, pretty cool. Children of the Sea is awesome. You know, it's probably Children of the Sea. Okay. Is there anything that you never got to play off of that song, or excuse me, off of that album live that you wish you would have? No, I I like the ones that we played. We we basically played the ones I just mentioned. We didn't... uh, play any more than that um so I, I can't think of what the other songs are anyway right now but they're all great songs you know really great right. songs i would have played any one of them whatever they wanted to do okay does it surprise you that years later you hear so many people coming out saying that the lineup of sabbath with you in it 
is favored over the original lineup? Uh, yeah, because I remember when we started, you know, when Ronnie started, it was hard for him. People, you know, wanted to see Ozzy, and sometimes, you know, they'd come to the front of the stage in the audience, and, you know, with an Ozzy sign or an Ozzy shirt. So, and, I, and at that point, we were playing the old Sabbath stuff, you know, like Iron Man, Paranoid, so Ronnie had to sing that. So, right. um, you know, so we did, uh, that was hard for Ronnie. And then, uh, you know, then I come in, I'm the new, you know, replacing Bill Ward. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of uh, time to, to, for people to accept both Ronnie and I. Ronnie right. was a little easier because they did Heaven and Hell off. So, uh, and then, uh, what else? Uh, yeah, and so it took a while to build it up, build it up. And then years later, it's cool to hear that people are like going, uh, oh my God, you know, the lineup with you guys, we love that one. And a lot of people were turned on the Sabbath from that lineup, you know, right. not even from uh, the original lineup, you know, some of the younger people. So right. it's nice to hear, you know, because obviously the first band was awesome, you know, started it all. So it's pretty cool. Right. Um the one album that, and I have weird taste of music, I have to say, and being a drummer for me, my favorite Sabbath album is the Humanizer because of oh, yeah. the the way that you're mixed on that album. The drums are just so crushing, especially when computer gods come in. That yeah. you know that that to me, in my opinion, if I have any sort of complaint about the Devil, you know, is that the drum sound wasn't the same way as it was on Dehumanizer. Um, can you tell us anything about Dehumanizer that maybe sticks out to you all these years later? Yeah, I agree with you. That's one of my favorite albums. And, and what's what's cool about it is that it sounds great. There's so much punch and bite to that album. And that's right. mainly because the drums are up front. And uh, the engineer producer was Mac, who did some clean stuff. And uh, he just got a great drum sound. Those weren't even my drums. They were a record kit in England. So uh, um, he just got a wonderful sound. And then when they came to mix it, I actually went home because they were going to Germany to mix it. And I've been hanging out, doing nothing for a while. So I said, you know, it's all right if I go home. And everybody said, yeah. So they were worried that <laughs> since I wasn't there, I hope making sure the drums were loud enough, you know. Right. So, uh, uh, so that's what happened. I come home and listen to it. Ronnie came over to my house and played it. I went, holy shit. The drums are nice <laughs> and loud, man. That's the way it should be. Right. Then, then uh, Devil, you know, you know, the album uh, was kind of what it was. It, it was written mainly with a drum machine. That's the way huh. it wound up. And uh, there weren't a lot of drum parts on it. You know, the songs were kind of just straight ahead. And then the sound of it, you know, I don't hear the drums on it. You know, they're, they're yeah. all washed out to me. I don't, I don't really hear the punch. You know, there's too much effect on them. So there's a big difference between those two albums, you know. With, right. Uh, with uh, the, the, the bigness of the drums and, and being washed away, you know. So, right. That's why in this album, Kill Devil Hill, the drums going to be right up front. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, right after R- Ronnie passed away, there were all these rumors that Heaven and Hell may continue without Ronnie, with maybe Glenn Hughes, maybe with uh, Swedish singer Jorn. Um, do you think that you'll ever work with Tony and Geezer again with a different singer? Um, you know, it's been talked about in, uh, you know, in the day, it was like, uh, when Newman was involved, it was brought up, you know, maybe, maybe he would be cool, uh, and Glenn Hughes, everybody, uh, and, uh, even Rob Halford. Hmm. So, it didn't, uh, pan out, I, you know, there was talk about it, and then it just wasn't talked about again, so. And time went on, time went on. So obviously, uh, you know, it didn't happen. And uh, I, I, the only thing I see happening with, with him is, is that they're going to get together with Ozzy next year. You know. Okay. I, do you I think? No, I was going to ask. Do you think anything will actually come out of that, or do you think, uh, as you know, what's happened in the past, that they won't be able to work things out and put an album out? I, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. They might, uh, they might be able to work things out. You know, there's always politics involved, and uh, if right. I would say, I would probably say they'll probably wind up doing something next year. You know, because I mean, how they get everybody's getting older. <laughs> They're not going to be able to do it <laughs> five years from now. You know, right? That's true. And there's so much money at stake. So stupid thing they don't do. It. Sure you will. Not me. True. But... <laughs> So, well, you actually—I don't know uh, what they're doing. <laughs> you actually got to step in at one point with Ozzy as the lead singer when Bill got uh, sick a few years ago as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Bill had a minor heart attack in '98, nine, uh, and then uh, I I flew out and rehearsed. We and we went out, you know, when I replaced Bill, so with Ozzy singing, that was pretty cool. Yeah, even even I was like, wow, this is good. Yeah, I never played with Ozzy, so and it's not even like playing with Ozzy with his band. This was playing with the original, the whole original fucking band, so it was awesome. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, if someone wants to keep up with what you're doing or what Kill Devil Hill is doing, where should they go? Um, well, we have a site. It's KillDevilHillMusic.com, and okay. there's a whole bunch of stuff up there, and then. Uh, my site is just my name, VinnyAppacy.com, Vinny with a Y. And like I said, there's DrumWars.com, and, uh, and that's about it. That'll keep you pretty much updated, you know. Okay. And uh, how many times are you asked about the pronunciation of your last name? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on tour, like, almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've, on the drum heard... and on drum wars gigs, you know, that's always the issue. You know, he says right. peace, and I say apathy. Yeah, right. So it's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard it explained uh, a bunch of times, and always found it humor. So wanted to bring yeah. it up. Hi, this is Vinny Apathy from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Perfect. You want another one without that door banging? <laughs> sure. That was Rex. <laughs> Hell! All right, you ready? Hello? Yeah. Yeah. This is Vinny Apsey from Kill Devil Hill, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Yeah!
go, a little gypsy coming off of Holy Diver, one of my all-time favorite tracks, one of my all-time favorite hard rock tracks. Interesting that Vinny's played on a lot of them. Um, probably without a doubt my favorite Dio song, without a doubt. Um, anyway, want to thank Vinny, want to thank Steve for coming on, want to thank Dan Lorenzo and John Freeman once again for making everything happen. Want to thank you guys for listening, and just remember, subscribe on iTunes or just go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to stream or download any of these interviews or to find out about the radio show, classic albums column, or any assorted nonsense that is going on uh, regarding the website itself uh, or the radio show or podcast. So uh, there you go. Thanks again for listening. And I'm going to leave you with a track off of the Mob Rules Voodoo. Thanks again for listening, and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. (laughs) 